It's August 23rd, 2021. This is Rook. there welcome to episode 138 of rook hope you're keeping well wherever you are tuning in from around the world durud salam dustan aziz omidvar hasam kechu vamizun bashin hello to you from toronto canada welcome to another one of our special themed episodes of rook this month hello groovy shaya hello azizam today we are focusing on the directors so three remarkable humans of Iranian descent, all of them talented creators who've made and are making a huge contribution in the realm of film. First up, one of the foremost figures in Iranian cinema as a director, screenwriter, and producer over the last six decades, Bahman Farmanara joins us from Tehran. Then the exceptional and award-winning Kurdish writer and filmmaker Bahman Obadi is with us from Greece. And finally, the celebrated Iranian-Canadian director and screenwriter Babak Payami joins us in the Rook studio here in Toronto. That's all coming up. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It is there that you can link to all of our platforms and programs and where you can become a patron of this program. We are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and CastBox. And if you'd like to see some visuals with Rook, see us on social media, switch over to YouTube or Instagram right now. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and Farsi, check us out on Telegram. All right. Let's get to our guests. We get back to our regular show on September 2nd. But in the meantime, this is another special themed episode of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is The Directors. Here we go. You know, it's no secret that Iranian cinema has a dynamic tradition and has been lauded all over the world for its poetry, poignance, and allegorical storytelling. Well, there are few names over the last half century that have had a bigger contribution to Iranian filmmaking than our first guest. Bahman Farmanara is a globally acclaimed film director, screenwriter, and producer born in Tehran. His first role as a director came with the House of Qamar Khanum back in 1972, before writing, directing, and producing Prince Ehtijab in 1970 which won the Grand Prix at the International Tehran Film Festival. He then produced some major films, including Abbas Kiarostami's first feature, Bahram Bezai's The Crow, and Khosra Haritash's Divine One. 
Ahmed Farmanara moved to France and then to Canada in 1980 when his film The Tall Shadows of the Wind was banned in Iran and he then established a distribution company and a film festival for children and young adults in Vancouver. His prolific career then focused in North America where he helped films such as Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ and Stephen Freer's The Grifters make it to the big screen. He returned to Iran and from 1991 endured a 10-year ban from film filmmaking in Iran. Bahman Farmanara's break into a global audience, you might say, was with the movie The Smell of Camphor Fragrance of Jasmine in the year 2000, which won eight awards at the International Fadged Film Festival, including the Best Film and the Best Director. It also won the Special Jury Prize at the Montreal Film Festival. He's since made five more compelling films that have been internationally recognized, including his latest, Tale of the Sea. He is undoubtedly one of the foremost figures in Iranian cinema and right now. Bahman Farmanara joins me from Tehran. Hello, sir. Hi. Good to hear from you. It's it's so nice to talk to you again. And I, I, I want to be clear on what I should call you. I'm tempted to call you Agai Farmanara, but uh, how, how do you feel? What should I call you? No, my first name is better because uh, when they call me Agai Farmanara, I sound too old. <laughs> Okay, well, you're definitely not too old, so I'll do that. Let, let me ask you this uh, first, Batman. You know, it seems, it may seem curious to an outsider who doesn't know you well that you have chosen to stay in Tehran, in Iran for that matter. You're not unfamiliar with the West. You studied in California, you lived in Vancouver, you ran major film companies in North America. Much of your family is in Canada and the U.S. On this show, we've talked to a few different um, well-known artists who are in the diaspora, Iranian artists, who love their Iranian heritage, but do not feel like they could do the kind of work that they want to do in Iran. But you have chosen to go back there and stay. Can you tell us why? Well, the reality of it is that um, I want to be in Iran. I'm making films for the Iranian audience. I don't say that if, for example, a French critic likes my movie, I'll be unhappy. No, but that's like um, cream on the cake. My cake is Iranian uh, people, and I like to communicate with them. And especially when there are some upheavals, as it was in the last year, um, and people got killed and so on, I really want to be in this country when it's uh, in turmoil, because I, I feel very guilty to be outside of Iran, uh, enjoying myself, and, uh, you know, other things are happening here. So that's why I've come back, and I like to stay in Iran, and uh, really, unless there is a major purpose for it, I don't want to leave Iran at this time. I want to get into your storied career. When, you know, when people talk about you, historians, critics, fans, they talk about your career being split into two. The films you made or were involved in pre-revolution, and then the films you've done and the outspoken stands you've taken after the revolution. Do you see your own life that way? I've never been a filmmaker um, just for the fun of it or try to make a um, major film that sells a lot and all that. I have uh, a mission as far as I'm concerned. Um, before the revolution, Prince Ehtijab uh, that I made is a film that is clearly opposite to a monarchy 
uh, way and ruling uh, in Iran. They're not all political, but I, um, I see and I criticize the government in charge. And uh, since the Islamic Revolution, uh, nothing is to my satisfaction uh, as far as the freedom of us, the artists, um, we are heavily censored uh, in every aspect of the work. I'm not talking about only movies. I'm talking about the uh, writers, poets, uh, painters, uh, everybody that is in, in art. And uh, gradually in the last 42 years, major artists have died. And in these 42 years, Islamic Republic has totally failed to replace at least one of these people, important people that we've lost, and say, okay, that, uh, okay, that is the future, and he's going to replace so-and-so. You talk about you and other artists being heavily censored. And, and one of the through lines of your prolific career on all sides of film, as a writer, director, producer, actor, has been dealing with censorship, both before the revolution and definitely after. And, and I want to ask you about this for people to get some sense of what you've had to deal with over the years. In, in 1979, your film, Tall Shadows of the Wind, from what I understand, authorities viewed this film's dream sequence carefully several times, even frame by frame, to count the number of scarecrows to ensure that there were not 12 of them because it would have translated to sacrilege by making reference to the 12 imams. The film was banned by the Forbidden Acts Bureau in Iran. You were accused of making anti-Islamic films. You were banned from exiting Iran for a period of time. What what were the mechanics of this? In other words, were the members of the review committee known to the filmmakers? Were they themselves engaged in the filmmaking profession? Were they film critics? Who, who gets to decide? Well, <laughs> that's a $60,000 question because uh, we almost uh, anybody can decide uh, regardless of their position. And um, there is not as... Uh, yes, we have a Ministry of uh, uh, Culture and Islamic uh, Guidance, but uh, so many times they are influenced by the pressure groups from all, uh, you know, all around the Iran. Um, so we never know uh, who yeah, has decided this. When I did uh, Tall Shadows of the Wind, uh, after three days, uh, they took the film off. And they asked me to go to an institution which um, it is called Prevention of Sin hmm. uh, Institution. Uh, and um, I went there at 9 a.m. And I was there till 9 p.m. Uh, there was a young uh, uh, mullah that was questioning me. And, and uh, he said that uh, we have 14 innocents. Uh, which is uh, the 12 imams and uh, uh, Muhammad and also the daughter of Muhammad. So he tells me that you burned 14 scarecrows and by that you mean that you're burning the 14 uh, uh, innocents in Islamic uh, religion. Well, I remember that I, I had made 30 uh, scarecrows because it was a very, very uh, long passage that we had to follow. But I figured that maybe, you know, in that shot that, that we used, because we never thought about that, uh, maybe there are 14. 
So I said, no, there were 30, and we looked at that shot, uh, set it up, and the mullah came in and looked at it, and we counted the scarecrows from the beginning of the shot, and uh, luckily there were 16. And his response to me was that, uh, I think you added two scarecrows before I arrived. Wow. Which uh, showed that he didn't know anything about the movies. I don't have two scarecrows in my pocket. <laughs> and uh, But then he did, uh, started saying that uh, uh, all your films have been against uh, religion, which I challenged him. I mean, oh, why are you saying this? Uh, that, that is not true. And he referred to a sequence in uh, Prince Job, And the... Uh, expression that he used was that you have uh, cut, parallel cut, uh, two scenes together, a morning sequence and a uh, masturbation sequence together. Well, parallel cut for the guy that thought I had two scarecrows in my pocket, um, it was not his expression because he didn't know anything about movies. So I, um, I felt threatened because I realized one of our uh, esteemed colleagues was uh, working with them. And um, I argued, and eventually it took 12 hours uh, till they let me go home. Luckily, I had um, a visa to go to uh, France because of, uh, it was close to Cannes Film Festival. And two days later, I left. And uh, my wife and three kids came a week later. You never know in Iran. There's such conflicting feelings listening to stories like this. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's this ongoing paradox where I'm listening to your story about the guy with the saying, no, there was uh, 16 scarecrows and this is what they mean. And it's comical. You know, it's almost like you've written a satire about this story, but it's real and it's devastating at the same time. And... I wonder what the impact of all this censorship is on the creators. Like when you have to be that aware of state censorship and when people are li literally born into it at this point, it has to become part of the way in which you create. In other words, while Iranians and, and certainly you um, are people with a lot to say, how prevalent does self-censorship become? How much do you censor yourself in the moment of creation or development of a film because you're always thinking, is this going to get accepted or not? Well, <laughs> most of our stories are allegorical uh, simply because you can't directly criticize anybody. Uh, but one thing that uh, we have figured out is that I write some really provocative scenes uh, in the script uh, for them to be deleted. So they let the rest of the script, uh, you know, to be shot. And that may sound funny, uh, but it becomes funny when very obvious shot uh, does not get censored. Uh, although I have put it there to be censored so they would, they wouldn't touch the rest of the script. Can you give an example uh, of that? In the uh, film uh, A Little Kiss, uh, we go in front of the uh, Cyrus's tomb. There is a sequence there. And uh, one, one of the main characters says, our uh, young people, they don't know anything about 
Cyrus. And the other character says, well, uh, it's better because they say that he was an American spy. And uh, he says, no, 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 um, uh, you're wrong. Uh, the latest thing that he was a Freemason. Hmm. Well, the fact that we are saying that uh, at the time of uh, Cyrus, Cyrus was uh, American spy and America didn't even exist right, at the time. Right, right. I thought they would definitely uh, would cut it out. But they didn't, and it still is in the film. Uh, uh, so <laughs> sometimes these things happen, and uh, I uh, one one thing which I have always mentioned: the people that sit on the censorship board anywhere in the world, I think they are not very bright people. Otherwise, they wouldn't accept this job mm. uh, because it's a demeaning job that you think that you're smarter than the uh, rest of the eighty million Iranians. You're smarter. So I'm not surprised sometimes when they miss it, but sometimes they also come to uh, things that you never, ever thought that they would say this is uh, what is wrong and you have to take out uh, because I don't think like them. Sometimes I think I'm more clever than they are, but no, I mean, it's, it's a battle. But you're, you're also undaunted. I mean, you, you keep going. Your, your films are incredibly compelling, but, you know, they're also quite bleak and full of despair. But I don't think you can be, because despite all we've discussed in terms of censorship, you still search for ways to make films and, and you succeed at, at it. So, so you have some kind of hope and inspiration to keep making films. What is that in the face of the struggle that you, that you seem to, the, the, the brick wall you keep hitting up against? Well, number one is this is, the, uh, this is my job. It's true I can do other work, but I only enjoy filmmaking. And I try to make uh, films to have a conversation with the nation that I live with. But yes, of course, uh, I tell the young people when they get upset, I said the best gift you can give to the government if you get so depressed that you go and sit at your home, and they say, good, we got rid of this guy. So I refuse mm -hmm. uh, to be so depressed that I give up my uh, work, and I go and fight every day uh, with another uh, uh, script and try to talk and make another film. Because uh, giving up is not my job. I'm not a person for giving up. Hmm. You know, there's so much to talk about with someone who's had as prolific a career as you have, but I, I thought for the purposes of our conversation today, I would also focus a little on mortality, if you'll excuse the somewhat macabre direction of doing so, because it, it seems like we're surrounded by reminders of our mortality these days, or as uh, Ramin Jahanbeglu said here, coming to terms with our own fragility. And, and it's no secret that you've been returning to themes of death and mortality in your work over the decades. Do you see this time, a, a global pandemic, as a moment when we're all coming to terms with our own death in, a, in somehow a, a more profound way, like a, a global teachable moment? I think one of uh, the three of my films, uh, the critics have put it, a trilogy of death. But 
my comment to them or anybody that has seen the films, I said, you have to be aware that this is a one-way ticket. Our lives end sooner or later. But when you're aware that the death is coming, I think you, uh, you live better. You, the moments are precious. If I uh, can get hold of my granddaughter who's three years old and I can play with them, I really enjoy it. But this doesn't mean that I forget that, okay, I'm also 80 years old. And uh, I try to use the mortality, uh, which almost everybody, uh, thinking person, knows that this is going to come and end, uh, just because tell them that live, fight, make something that you like, mm. enjoy what you have, enjoy your life. Have you ever been afraid of death? It hasn't come to me yet. Mm. I don't know. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. It, it's not that I, I'm, I'm going to uh, volunteer for it. No, but uh, I also um, uh, I know the fragility of, uh, of our lives, what can happen, and uh, so on. No, I, 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 I'm not uh, afraid of it, and... Uh, all I want to, as far as my, I'm concerned, that my kids are okay, my grandchildren are okay, and uh, there's always a time to say goodbyes. What happens to us when we die? Nothing. <laughs> I don't believe in uh, heaven or hell. Uh, both of them are here. We experience them in, in this life. We just live and die. You know, you and I were having a conversation, and I remember you said, our religion glorifies death. And that was certainly one of the precipitants yeah. for you to want to explore mortality. But then I was thinking about this today, and I was thinking many Iranians, especially in the diaspora, are not particularly religious. Nevertheless, do you think that that backdrop of glorifying death in the religion that many of us do spawn from, whether we're religious or not now, affects those of us who are more secular? Well, you know, when you live in Iran, for example, in Tehran, um, all around the city, there are murals of uh, paintings of uh, martyrs. So uh, you're going to work, but in every street that you turn, uh, somehow um, a martyr is looking down on you uh, on the road that you're going. This continuous background of death and glorifying it, which is an Islamic uh, thing that uh, you go to heaven and so on if you become a martyr. Uh, I find it bothersome uh, because um, I'm happy and I understand, I sympathize with the family of the martyrs and so on. Uh, but uh, the fact that the whole atmosphere that you are living in on a daily life, you're constantly reminded. I, I, I think they don't let you forget it. And that's part of the politics of this particular regime. You know, you said earlier in this interview, um, giving up is not my job. 
And uh, I think about you, and I think sometimes a filmmaker's actions can become more important than his films. You, you've always been a person, it seems, who stood up against oppression or oppressive governments of different stripes. And in 2009, during those widespread protests following the disputed presidential election in, in Iran, you wrote that famously, you wrote that open letter of protest saying how you could, how could anyone r- remain silent, you said, when so much was happening in your country. Uh, Bahman, what are the consequences of such courageous acts? How are you able to stay active in the landscape of the Iranian cinema? Uh, are you, you seem fearless to speak out. Are you? No, I'm not fearless and I'm not an idiot. You know, I know the, um, the dictatorship that we have at the police state that we have. But there are two things that maybe sometimes uh, it helps me. I never sign a protest letter with 100 other people. I always write, you know, what I want to say personally, and I would never uh, have a bunch of people around me to um, encourage me, because that's what the government worries about, that you start uh, a movement. But when I uh, write something, I say I have uh, the courage to say it directly, and what happens, happens. Don't know whether you know or not, but uh, my brother-in-law, who was a a physician, uh, was uh, executed at the time of the Shah. And he's now very much revered by the Islamic Republic. But most people don't know that he's my brother-in-law because I I loved him. I I didn't want uh, uh, to use his name for my own advantage. But I think these things happen whenever you have a dictatorship. And before the revolution, uh, we had a dictatorship, uh, and some people really were hurt. And now we have it worse than uh, what we had before because religion also has got involved. When you're saying that this uh, president is an idiot, uh, you're not talking only about uh, your uh, president. You're talking about the government which is connected to God, to Islam, and so on. So you can be uh, barbecued for it. Uh, and because of that, it's far worse than when what we had at the time of the Shah. You know, in, in the darkest days, whether it be in the last 20 years, 40 years, uh, before the revolution even, uh, I- Iranian cinema has emerged as something that Iranians all over the world uh, can take a lot of pride in, and that's because of people like you, because of people like Abbas Kiarostami, because of people like Jafar Panahi, Askar Farhadi. How do you see the mood and energy of Iranian cinema now in 2020, after the economic crisis, to, after the sanctions, after the COVID-19 pandemic? How are the Iranian filmmakers of today looking at the future of cinema and filmmaking? How do you feel about it? You know, what has happened in Iran is that uh, because government is very touchy uh, with anything that is uh, socially um, critical and all that, we have gone towards, or our our cinema has gone towards uh, very, very crass comedies. And um, you can't even sit down and watch them, you know, for the... Uh, 80 minutes or 100 minutes or so on, they're so bad. Uh, But 
uh, on the side of it, there is still uh, so much talent in the uh, country. Farhadi belongs to this country. Uh, Muhammad Rasulov, yes. uh, he is also uh, lives uh, in this country. So uh, the country is very talented, and the filmmakers are going to make uh, their films. And these uh, really uh, disgusting and ugly films that are being made just um, for a comedy that government allows them. Um, I think we have reached a point that uh, the bad films are really uh, far uh, more than the really good films. But I'm um, hopeful because there are so many young, talented people that are coming up every day. It's such a great pleasure to talk to you. I've kept you so long. I, I do appreciate this. I have one last question, which is that it occurs to me, you, you know, we've established you're not old. You're a young man. <laughs> well, I'm calling you by your first name. That's how we started, you know. But, um, yeah. but you have put in an incredible career over many decades. Uh, you, you know, you could choose to take it a little easier. Um, I understand you're still putting in 12-hour days, uh, even during a pandemic. Uh, even in your late 70s. Why is it so important now for you to work so much? Well, uh, Jean, uh, when you get to my age, you are uh, so close uh, to that everlasting rest. Uh, I don't want to rest now that I can breathe and I can walk and I can work. I'm useless when... I'm on vacation, I'm bored when I'm on vacation, because my work is my vacation. When I'm working, I'm okay, I'm a, I'm a good guy. When I'm not working, I'm grumpy. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this today. It's been an honor. Thank you. Khodafes. Khodafes, bye. That is acclaimed filmmaker, director, producer, actor, Bahman Farmanara. He joined us from Tehran. Listening to another special themed edition of Rook, this one called The Directors. Remember, for all things Rook, you can go to our website, rookmedia.com, for uh, previous episodes, a uh, list of all of our guests, uh, little outtakes, clips, video, etc. Rookmedia.com, where you can also become a patron. Our next guest on this Rook-themed special is truly an exceptional film director, a producer, and writer. Indeed, he is a celebrated creative force and the most prominent Kurdish artist in the world today. Bahman Qobadi was born in Bonne in the Kurdistan province of Iran. After a brief career in industrial photography, making a, a dozen award-winning short movies and being an assistant director to Abbas Kiarostami, Bahman Qobadi made his first 
feature film in the year 2000 with A Time for Drunken Horses. It is a remarkable film and was an outstanding debut that ended up winning the Camera d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. His second feature, Marooned in Iraq in 2002, brought him the gold plaque from the Chicago International Film Festival. His third, Turtles Can Fly, followed in 2004, winning the Glass Bear and Peace Film Award at the Berlin International Film Festival and the Golden Shell at the San Sebastian International Film Festival. He also received an Index Film Award in 2006 for making a significant contribution to freedom of expression with Turtles Can Fly. In the same year, his Half Moon, starring renowned actors Golshifte Farahani, Hassan Shirazi, and Hedye Tehrani, won the Golden Shell at the San Sebastian International Film Festival. The music of that movie was made by Master Hossein Ali Zadeh. In May 2009, Bahman's No One Cares About Persian Cats won a special jury prize when it premiered at Cannes. And in 2012, he made Rhino Season, starring Behrouz Vousiqi and Monica Bellucci, which was presented by Martin Scorsese. More recently, in 2015, Bahman released the very moving documentary A Flag Without a Country, once again with the Kurdish people as his subject matter. And while Bahman has been working on a number of projects in the last few years, it is his decision to step away from his previous pace of making films and focus on ways of helping Kurdish youth and peoples on the ground that has become more interesting than his cinematic output to a certain it is a great pleasure to have the great Bahman Gobadi joining us from Greece. Hello, sir. Hi, uh, Jean-Jean. Hello, hello, brother. Thank you so much for your words. You know, it's a great honor for me to do this. Merci, Kiyomadi. We can do this. I'll ask the questions in English, but you do whatever you feel most comfortable with. If you can okay. answer in English, great. If not, no problem, okay? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Sianja. Uh, Batman, I don't know where to start with you. I, I mean, <laughs> you know that I'm a, I'm a huge fan of your work and that Thank you. Thank I you, believe uh, a time for drunken horses to be a landmark work that should be uh, should be mandatory viewing for anyone interested in the Middle East, in yeah, Iran, and certainly in the Kurdish people. It was 20 years ago that that film came out and brought you to global attention. You've said that you really don't like being a celebrity or winning awards. Do you look back at that film as a gift that gave you so much in your life, or was it difficult for you to be catapulted to so much fame at the age of 31? Okay. Uh, سرخوش بودم از اتفاقی که داشت میافتاد یه دوربین پیدا کرده بودم با مامان و خواهر و برادر و پسر خالهام و فامیلی رفتیم توی روستا با دو تا از دوستام که هممون اولین بار بود یعنی کامرمن من اولین بار بود که پشت کامرا میرم و برای من اولین بار بود داشتم میرفتم اونجا و اون جایی که فیلم میساختم من رفتم یه روستایی بودم زمان جنگ کومله و دموکرات کردها با رژیم جمهوری اسلامیران من اونجا یک سال آواره بودم و اون روزها رو رفتم دوباره خاطرات هم زنده کنم بعد دیدم که اونجا یه داستان دیگه است اصلا نگار جغرافی ایران نیست 
یعنی عراقی بودن و رفتم گفتم شما ایرانی هستی گفت ما روزای الکشن ایرانی هستیم در 365 روز یه روز ایرانی هستیم 364 روزش ما عراقی هستیم و دیدم یه دنیای اونجاست و اینا و وقتی هم که رفتم خیلی سخت بود ولی اصلا نمیفهمیدم ولی تمامی سختی ها برام زیبایی آورد یک لحظه بد به یاد نمیارم حتی دوینگ شوتینگ من ایده نداشتم من سکریپتم فکر کنم یه چیز واقعا اینقدر پیج بود به دیوار زده بودم و ما توی طویله زندگی میکردیم جایی که حیبونا زندگی میکردن چون روستا خونه نداشت درستش کرده بودیم همه با هم یه جا زندگی میکردیم تجربه غریبی بود هیچ وقت تکرار نشد و آرزو مینه دوباره برگردم اونجا بهترین ملودی های زندگیم رو تو روزا شنیدم خروپوف بچه هایی که اونجا میخوابیدن تو زمستون برای من بست ملودی بود تو دنیا دیگه تکرار نشد و زوزه های گرگ و بادی که از شیشه های شکسته که با پلاستیک پوشنده بودیم اون صدا هیچ وقت دیگه تکرار نشد و میست و من دلتنگشم و اینقدر سخت بود ولی تو سختی ما به کشف میرسیدیم مثلا سایه میخواستم کلودی ویدر میخواستم ولی آفتاب بود و من پولم داشت میرفت و پول غذا نداشتیم نمیستم این بچه ها رو دوباره یه روز دیگه به اینا پی کنم برای عوامل فیلمم کامرمن و بچه ها و اینا و یه دفعه میشستم کنم خدایا من چرا اینقدر اذیت میشم و اینا یهو یه آقایی رو یه بچه به من گفت که تو چرا صدی چرا ناراحتی گفتم پولم داره تموم میشه گفت اون آقا هست توی کافی شاپ نشسته گفت اون خیلی پول داره گفتم جدی گفت میتونه گفتم میتونه کمک کنه گفت شاید باش حرف بزن چهار تا هورس داره و رفتم اونجا گفتم شما دستتون شکسته چجوری داری بیزنس میکنی؟ من گفت من به هرسان الکل میدم درانک میرن با, با بقیه و درانک برمیگردم گفتم I got the idea so I was in the middle of the shooting and I got this brilliant idea so در سختی یه چیز روشن اومد توی زندگیم که الان آغوشم رو بیشتر دوست دارم به سختی ها باز کنم After a time for drunken horses comes out then and you I, and I, I actually remember when that came out 20 years ago. I remember seeing it going, oh, my God, in Kido's character. What, what is this? We, who's made? You go through a, a period of about 10 years where you're releasing, you know, one film a year almost uh, for, ten, for 10 years. When you look back at that now, that period, Maslam, from 2000 until 2000, and, let's say Rhino season, 2012, um, is it a fond period or did you feel the pressure then to keep having to make films uh, after you did A Drunken Horses and, and to keep beating your own self? Baby, مثل بچه های اتن فور درانکن هورسس بودم و اصلا وقتی که این بچه ها رو نگاه میکنیم که چقدر سختی میکشن ولی وقتی که با اونا زندگی میکنی it's not سختی دیگه توش نیست مثلا بچه های فیلم Tiltus Can Fly به من میگفتن تو رو خدا فیلم چرا زود تموم میشه ما بیشتر میخوایم بازی کنیم ولی خیلی سخت بود حتی اتن فور درانکن هورسس بچه ها ناراحت بودن که فیلم تموم بشه ما دیگه شده بودیم یه فامیل و دوست نداشتیم جدا بشیم. اون موقع سخت بود ولی من سختی رو نمیفهمیدم مثل همون هرسی بودم که بار سنگین داشتم ولی سرخوش کمک به مادر به کمک به خانواده و کم کم سینما شد یک گان برای من من نمیدونستم سینما یک گانه یکی از دکومنتری شورفی من Life in Folk این خیلی اینترنشنال شد و اون موقع فهمیدم سینما از گان و به این دلیل رفتم A Time for Drunken Horses رو بسازم یعنی گان, گان. چرا گان؟ Why, why that metaphor? Why a gun? 
این کلمه مبارزه از چند دو چیز میاد که الان برای تعریف میکنم من خب همیشه با کردا میجنگم میگم مبارزه فقط اسلحه نیست میشه با دوربین جنگی ما میتونیم در مورد خودمون حرف بزنیم اسلحه بذاریم کنار همیشه بعد وقتی که پشت کامرا هستم همیشه یاد دایم میفتم اونم اونجوری بود منم همین کامرا فیگور یک کامرمن عین یک شوتره کسی که میخواد شوت کنه و یادم سر اتنفورد درونکن هورسز اولین شاتی که از بچه هندیکاپ گرفتیم این اومد ترسید دید یه بوم میکروفون بالا سرشه یه عده آدمای همش میگفتن به ما مهندس مهندس کامرمن بود گفتم اوکی ایوریبادی ردی بعد گفتم ساوند گفت ساوند رپ کامرا اکشن گفتم اکشن این فکر از کامرا یه چیزی شوت میشه و همین که فکر میکردم دوربین یک گان واقعا و گانی که توش ولی عشق میاد بیرون توش محبت میاد بیرون و جواب سوالتو بدم من سختی رو اصلا نمیفهمم دیگه اگه من دوباره برگردم به گذشتم اگه یه فرصتی باشه به دنیا آمدن دوباره میگم منو برگردون اونجا دوباره همون پدر همون سختی ها همون نونوایی هشت سال جنگم معنی جنگش نه سختی ها یعنی بیهایند وار هشت سال چجوری با هم زنی کردیم استرس از اینکه نفت داریم یا نه یه پیک داشتیم اینا باید به شما بگم من سیزده سال از عمرم توی صفحه نونوایی بودم از ساعت چهار صبح رفتم صفحه نونوایی تا تقریبا یک و دوی بعد از ظهر و همش بیشتر وقتان برق میرفت یا آرد آرد نونوایی تموم میشد به خاطر که نکن تمشم میشه دو تا نونوایی میگرفتم و من هر پنج دقیقه از این محله به اون محله میرفتم یعنی شاید بگم 500 بار میدویدم و این انرژی اومد توی فیلم ها <تصفيق> یعنی که برگردم میگم همین رو میخوام من همین همین سلاپینگ رو right, میخوام right, دوست دارم right. اگه عمر اگه عمر 200 ساله داشته باشم شاید بگم نه ولی اگه عمر قرار همین 50 60 70 سال 80 سال باشه من این این پرشر رو دوست دارم من این سختی رو ولی دوست دارم. ولی the reason i ask the question Uh, about those 10 years. Uh, I wouldn't ask the question if things hadn't changed, but things have clearly changed for you. You don't have the same output in recent in the last few years, and I know that you've been involved in doing other things. So if we look at that time from time, uh, Drunken Horses to Rhino Season as this prolific the time of output for you, film, 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 what changed in the last few years? قربت خیلی اذیت کرد دور شدن از زبان مادری چون من فیلم سازم و ای کاش من یک شاعر بودم یک رایتر بودم یا یه نقاش بودم میتونستم تنها شعر بنویسم تنها کتاب بنویسم تنها نقاشی کنم ولی وقتی که فیلمیکر هستی تو یک تیم میخوای یک منیجر میخوای یک ایجن میخوای یک پرودوسر میخوای من تمام دوازده سال گذشتم در زدم به خاطر پیدا کردن بودجه و توی ایران می ساختم با لو باجت وقتی بیرون می دیگه چیزی به نام لو باجت رو نداریم مثلا right. اربیل گرونترین سینمای مدالیس اربیله یعنی همه چیز خیلی بالاست و اونجا خودم رو پیدا نکردم از اونجا خسته شدم به خاطر خیلی چیزا که در یه برنامه با شما در موردش حرف میزنم ولی اومدم به هر سال یه جا بودم یه سال لندن یه سال دوبه یه سال استانبول یه سال راشن این ور اون ور و این آوارگی منو اذیت کرد ولی آرومم کرد میدونی مثل یک اسبی بودم میدویدم میدویدم یه خوب اینجوری سلو شدم ولی 
بیشتر این آیدیه ها و ایده ها همش تو خوب در من جمع شد و یاد گرفتم مثلا کتاب بنویسم دو تا کتاب نوشتم این مدت یک کار کمپوزین کردم چند تا آهنگ درست کردم خیلی پرایویت خیلی پرسنال شد کار آردم یعنی دیگه دوست ندارم دیده بشم یعنی من هیچ لذتی از فیلمسازی نبردم هیچ لذتی به یاد ندارم رفتم مثلا تاوز فستیوال رفتی ولی کل لحظات خوب فستیوال ها رو جمع کنم فکر کنم شاید 10 مینت مثلا آره فستیوال چند هفت تا پرایز گرفتن چهار پنج تا فیلم ها منجا بود ولی من خاطرات بد دارم یعنی مثلا وقتی که من کامرادور گرفتم سه تا پرایز گرفتم تو شب تو این وقتی که اومدم بیرون دیدم تنها کامرادور و جایزان تو زیر کتمه دیدم جز تماشاچی ها شدم مردم جمعی شدن ستارا رو می دیدن دیدم ای I'm in the other side and I'm looking look at the other people mm-hmm. I, I, I mean I went there but رقیبامو دیدم داشتم با لموزی می اومدم با تیم می اومدم پرودوسر داشتم ولی من تنها شدم چرا من تنها چرا الان من باید برم توی آپارتمانی که نیم ساعت دور با تاکسی باید میرفتم و یه جایی بودم بعد گفتم هو ما این چیه چون تو برای ملت میکنی تو برای یه تیم میکنی خیلی اون تنهاییه اذیت هم که به این دلیل من دوره خلق یک فیلم رو دوست دارم پروسه‌ای که فیلم درست میشه رو دوست دارم یعنی اصلا لذت نیست واسه شما که مثلا یه انٹرنشنال جوری بگه که this you did such a great work we're going to give you this prize I hate that I hate that you can't feel that. you can't feel good about yourself say no, I must have done something good شاید اگه مثلا یه ایرانی یا یه کور یه جای بم بگه بگه شنیدم مثلا شما کار یه فیلم ساختینا خیلی خوشحالم میکنه ولی مثلا الان دوست دارم با دو تا ایرانی بشینم توی کبابی کباب بخورم بشینم واقعا تا اینکه بشینم با دو تا پرودوسر بزرگ هالیوودی اصلا دوست ندارم اون دنیا رو I want to ask you about making a difference though because I know one of the things you've been doing in recent years is you correct me if I'm wrong you've been working in Iraq helping teaching and building schools right Yeah I yeah, I was there when I left Iran the first place I went it was Erbil yes. and uh, the one of the Barzani family said you should come here and you should do something but it couldn't happen what I want to do می خواستم یک کانو پرورشی فکری کودکان و جوان بسازم آرزو داشتم یک مگزین برای بچه‌ها بزنم خیلی تری کردم در زدم یه باجت برای اینا پیدا کنی و نشد کم کم فهمیدم خودم باید این کارو بکنم من هفت تا هشت تا معلم کرد پیدا کردم از ایران اینا رو آوردم ارا کامرمن بودن سانمن بودن ادیتور بودن اسکریپت رایتر بودن بردمشون تو چهار تا کمپ توی اربی و ما تو کمپ ها بچه انتخاب کردیم مثلا هر کمپی اگه هزار تا بچه داشت ما تو هر کمپ 50 تا انتخاب می‌کردیم به اینها کلاس آموزش عکاسی اینا دادیم رفتم توی کره 100 تا دوربین فوتوگرافی خریدم با پول خودم این 100 تا کامرا رو آوردم بین بچه ها تقسیم کردم و به اینا گفتم برید از خودتون فیلم بگیرید بعد از آموزششون و اینا رفتم فیلم ساختن یه باجت کوچیک پیدا کردم دادم به اینا بعد فیلماشون آوردم مثلا it was about like 60 70 short movie wow. من 10 تا رو سلکت کردم 10 تا از خوباش به نام life on the border که تو برلین فیلم فستیوال بود تو it was in many film festival yes. and they, the NHK show it the NHK TV in Japan was so like popular programming in there and I remember and the, the guy the head of the NHK said 
with your program, with your documentary, I we want to tell Japanese kids how we should proud of ourselves, how your kids in camp, they are doing this great movie with this kind of life, you know, stay in the camp and mm-hmm. with, without anything. So, اونجا این کلاس ها رو داشتیم سرم گم شد توی یکی از کمپ ها پول درست کردم میخواستم کلاس مثلا سویمین برای بچه ها بذارم کلاس فوتبال بذارم ولی دیدم تنها و خیلی سخت گذشت ولی بچه عاشق من شدن عاشقش شدم امو بهمن دایی بهمن خاله بهمن و من دیگه نمیتونستم اینا رو ترک کنم و دیدم من هر فیلمی همینجوری بچه هم زیاد میشن این تمام بچه های فیلم ها تا به امروز همشون همچنان واقعا I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm their father yes. ولی این بچه ها دیدم شد دیویس نفر چند تاشون رو کمک کردم رفتن فرانسه رفتن جرمنی like فرانکفورت کلن دانشگاه رفتن الان درس سینما میخونن این بچه های کم اون اندازه خوب بود هپی بودم اون اندازه خوب بود یکی دو تا فیلم فیچر فیلم هم اونجا پرودوس کردم از این فوندیشن از اون فوندیشن مثلا 50000 دلار پیدا کردم بچا رو پوش میکردم فیلم بسازم but here's my question for you my question is if going into cinema there was a dual focus for you one one was you figured out this is a way to make money i don't have to stand in a bread line i can help my mother i can help my family uh we made some money that that's that's one the other reason was that you've talked about is is making a difference and i'm so i'm really curious about this path what you've learned from this path about i mean you know someone could make the argument you could yes of course it's valuable for batman robadi to be in erbil and teaching a kid uh, uh, football and and being a father figure to that kid and helping that kid find a life and felt find, grow confidence and 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 all kinds in all kinds of ways you could have that impact but the argument could also be made that when you make a feature film like turtles can fly or 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 even like rhino season that you know uh, that deals with the revolution etc that you are educating the whole world that you are bringing attention from the whole world to to subjects that you want to do you do you meditate do you think about the difference that you can make on the ground versus making feature films and how do you make that choice وقتی که به سینمای کرد فکر میکنی ما یکی دو تا بهمن مثلا قباتی داشته باشیم کار میکنیم توی چل چل پنج میلیون کرد ما باید بیشتر فیلم ساز تربیت کنیم من الان اگه, اگه قدرت داشته باشم که بتونم فقط پرودوسری کنم و مدرسه سینما بذارم برای هر پروژهی بشم کانسلتن یعنی هر کی میخواد فیلم بسازه از A to Z من تیکرش کنم سکریب چجوری باچه درست کنه به کی زنگ بزنیم کجا فستیوال بفرستیم من دوست داشتم هد این داستان باشم بهمیدم. مثل سپایدر به توینی فلمیکرز کمک کنم توینی کمرمن پیدا کنیم توی سینمایه حالا من بسیم کورد و ایرانی نیست کورد ها بیشتر اذیت شدن کورد ها بیشتر محروم بودن بیشتر به اینا توجه نشد thinking about this in 2000 The first international Kurdish language movie was A Time for Drunken Horses. Yes. That's, you know, that's terrible. Why do we always have a hizb? For example, this hizb, hizb A, hizb B, Democrat, Kumbale, Party, etc. We want a hizb Farangi, Kurd. Kurd wants art, wants culture. We want a TV, education TV. We have 50 channels of Kurdi. One of them is for the kids in a way that طراحی نشده ما یک مگزین خیلی خوب برای بچه ها نداریم آرزو می بود یه مگزین درست کنیم برای هزار تا گالج بفرستیم میدونم 
پر از فیلمسازای خوب بچه های عارف روشن فکر اینا پیدا میشن چون چون مملکت پر از استوری اون سرزمین کردستان پر از قصه است Do you feel pressure که that you have to be the guy to fix all of these things عربی بودم خیلی اذیت شدم من شبا اینجوری بودم اینجوری چه دستی میرم تمام بدنم میلرزید هی اینجوری بودم تا الانم تا 5 4 5 نمیتونم بخوابم صبح بیدار میشم زنگ میزنم به احمد به محمود کردیش پرزیدنت He is the president, Kurd president in Iraq, Barham Saleh. I called him thousand times and he didn't answer. He was my friend and he could help now because he's an Iraqi president. I'm telling you, this is the first time I'm mm-hmm. telling you this. I, I met this guy. I told him before, but when he became president, he forget who is this guy. He forget, he has to help the kids now, but he's in Iraq as a president. All of their thing is just be with the president of Biden, meet the Trump, meet, but they don't think this, that the gold, the gold is the kids is there. The gold is your people, not abroad. They don't think about that. Mm-hmm. I want to say, hey, wake up, wake up. This is the time you should work for your people. When you can't sleep until کریتیب میکنم مثلا میگم فردا یه ویدیو میدم بیرون به برهمساله میگم که ای من تو چرا این کاریم به بعد بیدار میشم میگم نکن نکن شاید مثلا میگم برهم آدم خوبیه یه جاهایی از حداقل انسانه ولی یه جاهایی مثلا به فلان آدم میگم باید بهش بگم ولی میگم نکن نکن نکنه اینا بکشن تو رو هیچی نگو بعد دوباره سالی میشه دوباره یه بهمه میگه دوید یه بهمه میگه دوید من اینجوری هم این قلبم میزنم این قلب دارم میزنم و این شور هست ولی یه جایی کنترلش میکنم میگم هی یه هدفون میزنم میرم توی کافی شاپی و عاشق تنهایی مثلا من یه شماره تلفن ندارم یک تلفن ندارم هفت ساله عاشق تنهایی هستم با خانوادم فقط با دخترمو ارتباط دارم که بتونم با مامانم بعضی وقت حرف بزنم به همه گفتم استی فار بیکاز من کارهای بزرگتری میخوام انجام بدم نکردم ولی دارم دارم خیلی I want to ask you about all this when you say you've not owned a phone for the last years we're lucky to have even found you by the way you you only operate by email Why is it important to not have a phone? دیزاین موهاشون رو نمیدیدم الان سعی میکنم بیشتر با دیتیل باشم قبلا یه چیز بزرگ میدیدم الان بیشتر تو جزیاتم ببین با ایران که ارتباط برام میکنم بیشتر اذیت میشم ایران مملکت زیبایی کردستان حیفه و نمیخوام قصه بخورم اگه دیوی سال عمر کنم دوست دارم صد سالش قصه بخورم ولی الان که من 52 سالمه واقعا 50 سالشو من قصه خوردم باور کن من تو لاین بزرگ شدم توی سیاهی بزرگ شدم سیاهی education in the family like my father he was a policeman education in the school education society رژیم فیک همه چیز و تو میخوای من میتونستم یک عالم یه دراک باشم یه الکلی باشم که تو جامعه ما پره یه بعضی ها میتونم به هنر پناه ببرن اگه من فیلم ساز نمیشدم حتما الان یک 
یادم یه دراگ میکشیدم یا یه الکلی بودم دپرس بودم احتمالا توی مرز قاچاق میکردم مثل این کول برا که اذیت میشن احتمالا تا الان کشته شده بودم رژیم ایران منو میکشت من نمیرم چکار میکردم ولی سینما منو نجات داد من هیچ وقت عاشق سینما نبودم الان یکم دوستش دارم میگم اوکی من اوکی هستی چون منو نذاشتی که بد بشم و یه بار پرسی از من فیلم هم اصلا دوست ندارم وقتی که میگم فیلمتون نمایش میدن دستم میلرزه یعنی دوست ندارم در مورد گذشته اینقدر سختی من سختی کشیدیم براش جیان جان ولی الان یه فکر میکنم اصلا ده پونزه سال وقت خوب دارم میخوام پونزه سال رو بکنم 15 years رو بکنم 50 years how I can make the time very slow if I can make it by computer slow motion and fast motion for sure I can make the time My life is like slow. But so this, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And after that, sorry, I, when I leave you now, I go to watch the movie and I lay down and I feel I'm a king. So, but I'm happy. And on the other side, Roger Waters, he was like my uh, brother. And one or two writers, they're helping me. I don't have any contact. I don't have any contact, but I'm happy for that. And the people said, hey, don't be depressed. No, I'm not depressed. Because... من نکردم کارهایی که قبلا میباعث میکردم قبلا خیلی حرف زدم الان یکم کوایت است الان این حرفایی هم که میزنم مشخصه حرف دارم بگم ولی گوش نیست که منو بشنوه دیگه یعنی گوش کردی گوش ایرانی نمیشه پیدا کرد و وقتی هم پیدا میشه کاری نمیتونم بکنن آدینس چکار میتونه برای ما بکنه ببین ما الان چلو بخوام در مورد یکم پلیتیک با تو حرف بزنم 42 سال رژیم ایران هست ما یک عالمه چنل داریم شوهر خاله من مبارز بود الان توی مریوانه هر روز سعی میکنه برام ایمیل میزنه بهمن تومارو همه چیز تموم میشه میان فرودگاه دنباله 42 years he's telling me tomorrow is done tomorrow is done اینا تیوی نگاه میکنه و ما دراک مثل دراک شد برای ما تیوی و ما انرژیمون رفته امروز به دوستم میگفتم گفتم همه ما ایرانی ها سای من گفتم یه موبایل داریم الان چی داریم مثلا اینستاگرام داریم فیسبوک داریم کلاب هاوس داریم این داریم ما یک جیل درست کردیم یعنی هر اپی یک میله از پنجره ما که رو به آزادی بود ما تمام انرژیمون رو اینا رفت تمام حرفایی که در مورد کرد من زدم در مورد خفقان در ایران زدم میشنوی ولی زود فراموش میکنی یعنی ما تاثیر نمیتونیم بذاریم جیان جان من و تو با اینترویو تاثیر نمیذاری فقط یکم آدم ها رو شاید هپی کنیم یکم آدم متفاوت نه میتونیم نه 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 من اتفاقا حالا یه چیزی گفتی که I disagree with چون که من فکر میکنم we can learn from conversations we can learn from dialogue همین الان من دارم یاد میگیرم از شما که همینه که دارم میپرسم که مثلا تلفن چرا نداری چون که از خودم خودم من که خیلی چیزم OCD هم اگر خونه نداشته باشم تلفن نداشته باشم میترسم where's my life where's my structure I need that kind of structure و همین دارم از شما میپرسم یه چیزی گفته بودی به من که قبلا یه دفعه حرف زدی بودیم گفتی گفتی که Uh, I'm like a kite uh, and I thought that that metaphor was very beautiful but and very freeing you know emancipating but very difficult for me to understand like you don't have a house you you've been the has been living most of the last 10 years in little hotel rooms and a place wherever you can find to live I get I said man stress me sham in a beshnavam valley medium there's a reason why you do that and that's why I'm learning from it and maybe somebody listening 
would identify that and learn from it. That's why, but so I do think this can be helpful. Having said that, why don't you have a house? Okay. <laughs> و من خوشحالم سینما به من موو یاد داد من عین بچه دار دوباره دارم بازی میکنه من بچگی همچنان تو من هست و خوشحالم but what about a place دارم. what about a place that um you where you have that you get your grounding hold on let me get you need a mansion kemasan you need a los angeles iruni you know but but a place where your things are that your favorite book is sitting there the picture of you and your mom is there the bicycle that you've had for 10 years is there and that's where you get your grounding from the, do you not miss that ah it's very سخت جا دو تا چمدونم تو اربیله سه تا چمدونم تو اربیله پنج شیش داشت تو استانبول توی لندن جا دارم توی الی تو خونه دو تا خارم اونجا چمدون دارم تو نیویورک یه استوریج گرفتم که زندگی تونه و بعضی وقتا مثلا دنبال یه چیزی میگردم مثلا زنگیزم به استوریجه که میگم هی من یه سودکیس هم اونجا از میگه تو نمیتونی این سودکیس رو باز کنیم شد کم and take all of your furniture I just had one bed I, I, I made it a few years ago and I told myself okay New York is your place و سوریج هم اونجا گذاشتم من اینقدر کار دارم وقتی که مثلا تلفن دارم بیشتر از گرفتاریات میگم ای مامانت آلزمرش بیشتر شده اون فامیلت کنسر گرفته ای رژیم رفته برادرتون هفت ما زندان کرده من از بد نیوز دورم yes. تلفن هم قبلا داشتم باز میکردم مثلا واتساب داشتم یاشته بود سلام فوری زنگ بزن به مامانه ای خدا چی شده مامانم هسپیتاله ای خدا من دو ساعت پرواز میتونم برم مامانم ببینم و نمیتونی و اینو اینجوری میکنه اینجوری خفت میکنه و میخواد خب پس چرا اصلا باید کنتکت داشته باشم من با ایرانی یا با خانواده هیچ کمکی نمیکنه سرزمین هم مثل آفتابه هر چقدر به آفتاب نزدیک میشم میسوزم دوست ندارم به آفتاب نزدیک شم ولی وقتی میشم من آرتیستم من مسئلم مردمنه مسئلم نیو جنریشنه ما ایرانی ها بزرگترین بدیمون اینه که خودخواهیم خودخواه به منی که همه چیز رو برای خودمون میخوایم بچم سه تا دو چرخه داشته باشه حاضر نیستم دو تا دو چرخه رو به دو تا همسایه هم بدم و اگه ندم عاقل نیستم که فکر کنم هی hey, Uh, your neighborhood he don't uh, the kids he don't have a bicycle he will be angry maybe beard as khuna dozdi kone shayad ye roz bachcha to bokoshe to be un bede ve love pakhsh kon ve education pakhsh kon ma inu nadari ma just have a cheese baray khodom khube be khater in ye farhang tu iran hast hame khuna hamu ba dakhilish the best bashe why me chera in 
از چیز از این میاد همه چیز باید ای بچه من نباید تظاهرات کنه بذار احمد بره بذار محمود بره ما دنبال چنج نیستیم ما الان چنجمون تو این موبایله ما تو دستامو داریم حتی مشتامو شده این انگشتامو همش هم دستامون هم میلرزه تمام انرژیمون اینجا خرج شده و رژیم دوست داره وی ار بیزی وی ار بیزی فور نثینگ و ما چیز بزرگ نمیبینیم ما متاسفانه نگاهمون کوچیک شد یعنی هر روز نگاهمون کوچیک و کوچکتر شد همه چیز ما توی یک مانیتور داره میگذره ما خودمون مردم هم یکم تنبلی میکنیم ما یکم مراقب هم دیگه نیستیم همین که گفتم دیگر خواه نیستیم ما ما خودخواهیم برای خودمون میخوایم این مشکل ایرانه و من به خاطر این دوست ندارم من نمیتونم تغییر بدم میتونم یه تأثیر بذارم در حد این دستمالی که مثل یه گاربیچ رو میگن ننداز میگم آقا اگه من نندازم که دنیا خراب نمیشه ولی همون تیکه 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 از کمک میکنه و من دوستم با فیلم هم این ده سال اگه عمر داشته باشم 15 سال هر چقدر سه چهار تا فیلم دیگه بسازم به عنوان یک ایرانی واقعا بتونم یک افتخار برای مردمم برای کورت ها بیارم و, و فقط یه یادگاری به جا بذارم که نفیو من فامیلای من یکم میگه این این فامیل ما بود چند تا فیلم داره من فقط با این الان زندم وگرنه هیچ چیزی منو نگه نمیداره که زنده باشم واو You have a focus on age and aging. I watched a, a short interview of, that you did back in 2009 at a festival. I think it was for the Persian Cats film. And you said at that time, I'm running out of time to do all the things I want to do. And you were only 40 years old then. Are you obsessed with this idea of running out of time? It's a fact that UNESCO says that the most important time is time. It means that it میگه که نمیخوام من ضربه فنی بشم میخوام دو تا امتیاز بگیرم من مثل پنج دقیقه آخر بازی فوتبال زندگیم دوست دارم تمام انرژیمو بذارم حداقل یه گلم شده انجام بدم و بگم ای دید حتی ببازم حتی ب... ما میبازیم حتما ولی دوستم یه گل بزنم اون گله یک مموری برای من شاید درست کنه قبل از اون دهزی که داری میبینی یا اون فامیلی که بعدا تو میبینم که این, این آدم بود گل زد مثل اون فوتبالیست ایرانی است که یه گل زد تیمش باخ من این اون فوتبالیست میخوام یه برگردون بزنم یه گل بزنم ولی میتونم بازنده من دوباره اون گلم آخه چرا میبازیم نه 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 من اسمش بازنده چون همه میبازیم You once told me that we all live two lives one before for 45 years of age when we're constructing memories and one after 45 years of age where we're just thinking about the memories that we that we created although i would like to challenge that because you're 52 i mean i i would hope that being 52 doesn't mean you're in the last five minutes of the football game you're somewhere in the middle of the football game aren't you <laughs> yeah it's for me to be honest like that man but in happy man but i should be busy with something how the footballists they are busy with one ball i'm busy with the uh, one or few script let me ask you about i, I know i can't keep you forever and khayli mochakram you've been so generous with your time let me ask you about what you've been doing recently because uh, you uh, this regardless of whether you have a phone or a house or you, uh, and the amount of countries that don't don't let you in anymore you have continue to do such interesting work and the company that you keep so first of all roger waters you've spent some time in the last three years traveling with roger waters of pink floyd fame name something that you've learned by observing and talking with roger waters 
نمیدونم نمیتونم بگم این 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 یه جمله به هم میگه ولی این جملهش مثلا گفتم تو چرا این کار میکنی فیلم گفت بهمن گفت بهمن یه دیوار بزرگ یه عده درست کردن ما نمیتونیم این دیوار رو بشکنیم ولی میتونیم اون پایین با میخ یکم سوراخ کنیم تو یه سوراخ من یه سوراخ این سوراخ نذاریم به خواب این دیوار این کاری که ما آرتیست ها میتونیم بکنیم خیلی جمله زیباست یکی از بهترین جملاتی بود که من از این یاد گرفتم که ما شاید نتونیم قطعا من نمیتونم دیوار بشکنم ولی با یه فیلم یه تق یک صدا بزنم یه صدا یه صدا یه صدا نویز درست کنی و این نویز میتونه یک یک بمب صدا بشه و بتونه دیوار رو واقعا از بین ببره این بهترین چیزی بود مثلا از راجر yeah. توی سفرم مثلا به عراق بهش فکر کردم کنم That's a great idea idea that he yeah. has about a wall yeah. he should turn that into an album sometime <laughs> Um, tell me about your relationship with Martin Scorsese. You two are quite close. He presented Rhino Season. He is involved in a new film of yours called Two Brothers. What is this relationship like? Are you like father and son? Are you like brothers? Are you like friends? How, how do you describe your rabbite with Martin Scorsese? Yeah, the biggest problem, we couldn't be so close because of the language. And I'm so lazy for that, to learn English. And in 2002, I was jury in Cannes, and he was jury also. So we had one or two times dinner, and I find out he watched, he loved the Time for Drunken Horses. And he has one copy, he made one copy for his archive, because he has one archive of the few movies which he loved. And then... Later, I met him in Doha Film Festival. Later, I met him in Istanbul. And then when I left Iran, I remember in Doha, he gave me his idea. And he said, Bauman, if you uh, coming around to US and you should let me know. And then I emailed him, hey, I left Iran. And then I uh, I went to his house and he bought, he told me he bought more than 300 DVDs. And he said, Bauman, where I'm going somewhere, I just meet my daughter. We are giving the gift, like the cadeau, like gift to the to my friends who is working on cinema. He loves, uh, uh, no one knows about Persian cats. Wow. So he became wow. close. He gave me like one of his rooms, as like office sometimes to use it. And he, yeah, I can't remember anyone who, who support me like that in, in Middle East. I can't remember. So uh, we have one project, which, uh, which you said, two brother. We are working on this project right now. I, I want to shoot it in Las Vegas and India with him. Uh, as as an executive producer. So I'm doing something, but let's see what will be happen after the COVID, inshallah. Bamanja, one thing I, w- I, I neglected to ask you earlier, which I, I wanted to, is because you were so famously identified in that period after Drunken Horses and those films as part of the new wave of Iranian cinema, I'm sure you've heard that a million times in your life. What is your feeling about Iranian cinema these days? Um... راستش واقعا نمیدونم من توش نیستم به حال سینمای ما خیلی مثل مردممون عصبانی شده یعنی ما تمام فیلم هامون همشون عصبانی داد میزنیم کارگردانامون هم عصبانی شدیم ما ما خیلی عصبانی هستیم حالا چجوری میشه همه فیلم هامون یه جوره همش داریم داد میزنیم رو سر هم دیگه همش جیغ و فریاده و من بیشتر اتفاق ناراحتیم از بعضی وقتا از فیلم سازایی که ویس دارن ولی مثلا کمکی نمیکنن به ویس مردم من, من فکرم امروز یه جنگی هست در ایران بین مردم و 
یه سیستم مم. تو باید بگی این یا اونی تو نمیتونی سپای باشی سمتایم برای مردم ساعت فقط بخاطی اینکه اون وسط بمونی زندگی تو سیف کنی اسم نمیبرم یه فیلمساز خیلی بزرگی که مرد به من گفت که تو خیلی احمق بودی رفتی از ایران گفتم چرا؟ گفت ایران خیلی جای خوبیه میتونی خوب بکاری خوبم برداشت کنی یعنی خوبی برداری مم. گفتم دوست گرامی من این کار کردم ولی الان دیگه باید بذاریم بکاریم دیگران ببرن میدونی ما میگم بدیمون اینه که تا روزی که پیر میشیم هفتاد هشتاد فقط میخوایم برداریم برای خودمون نمیذاریم دیگران بردارن این تفکره باید از رو هنر ایرانی به خصوص سینما برداشته بشه میگم مشکلاتی هم که الان دارم این, این بردر گذاشتنه هیچ وقت زمین آرامش رو نخواهد داشت تا روزی که این فلک و این بردرها رو برداشت Because if I were to say there's one subtext of all the work you've done, it's about borders and how and and the dangers and the or the difficult implications of borders that we put around yeah. people. Yeah. And you're yeah. still talking about it. Still, I'm on it because I'm on the border now. Right now, I'm on the border close to Turkey. When I'm going to Turkey, still I'm uh, close to the border. And Zendigi Mabine, Yani mentalitam to border. برم ایران نرم برم کردستان نرم این فیلم رو بسازم نسازم یعنی بردر این like the knife you know, هر روز اینجا تو میزنه و, و من دیگه از خودزنی خسته شدم اصلا چرا باید به زدن فکر کنی میدونی ما یه جمله که مثلا ما ایرانی هست همیشه یکی رو میبینیم که جیان چطور بود میگه اینو اینش بده ما هیچی نمیگیم اینو اینش خوبه همیشه ایب جوی میکنیم تا خوب جوی اگه بشر بتونه ایب جوی رو آخر بگه اول خوب جوی رو بگه امکان نداره ما نتونیم حداقل خونمون که ایرانه رو درست بکنیم ما خیلی ایب بهمن جان on that note a final question and it was a beautiful segue to get to this final question which is coming back to the idea of خونه of home and identity If we were to remove the, because I feel like this conversation with you has, so much of it has been about the way you struggle with wanting to just be free to be Bahman Gobadi, whether it's censorship or whether it's being disallowed from being in certain countries or whether it's uh, uh, the, the kind of restrictions of, of, of being chained to a telephone <laughs> where people want to expect to be able to get in touch with you. These are all things you want to be free of. If we were to remove censorship if we were to remove the restrictions of where you could travel iran iraq anywhere where would you and you had your choice where would you be right now if you could be <laughs> anywhere in the world man iran dost nadaram dige bergadam hatta baradaram president beshe vali dost daram birun bare iraniya komak basham az birun ye chiz yad begiram من ایران باشم هیچ کمکی نمی کنم اونجا پر آدم های خوب کمک بکنن ما باید بیرون باشیم میدونی من یه پنجره بیرون میخوام باشم که بتونم بگم هی لوکت ایران من میخوام یک ویندو باشم من همیشه میگم من نمیخوام بگی فیلم میکر ایم ویندو میکر یه ویندو درست کنم و باز کنم و به شما بگم هی بیاید این دیوار رو من شکوندم یه ویندو درست کردم از ویندو من ایرانو درست کنیم کار ما اینه من چرا باید برم 
از داخل خونم یه پنجره دیگه درست کنم من ویندو رو باید بیرون درست کنم و بذارم اون سرزمینم دیده بشه دوست ندارم برگردم و ببین مثلا میگم ایران شاید در سال یه هفته خوب باشه ترکیه یه هفته خوب باشه گریز یه هفته خوب باشه هیچ چیزی الان آرامش به من نمیده شاید عوض شدم یه چیزی در من اتفاق افتاده بیکاس الان خونم وجودمه اینقدر خوشحالم با زندگی اینقدر توی کافی شاپ میرم میشینم یک کروپ کریتیو میکنم اینقدر خوشحالم که مطمئنم تو سرزمینم اینقدر خوشحال نیستم تازه یاد گرفتم با ذهنم باید بیشتر کار کنم مدیتیشن کنم آرومتر باشم لبروری ذهنم پر از آشغاله پر از مموری های بده همه رو بردم تو کتابام الان تازه خونه تکونی کردم تمیز شده یکم فایل هست تازه دوباره میخوام چیزای جدید بذارم توش تمام اینو اسم میکنم this is not شعار this is not یه جمله این I feel it I, I feel it 100% و بخاطر این نمیفهمم برگشتن به ایران یا ترکی خونمه ایران خونمه کردستان خونمه و نمیدونم چون خیلی تنهایی ما ما با یک ویروس فهمیدیم خیلی تنهایی پس خونه نداری تو دیگه تو تنهایی کره زمین رو باید سیف کنی چرا باید برم حیات خونم رو سیف کنم چرا باید برم خونم رو مراقب باشم این باید هول ایریا رو باید مراقب باشیم همین خیلی حفظ دم I could listen to, I, I, I could do this for hours عزیزم. خیلی متشکرم مرسی جان جان من yes. عزیزم مرسی از تو بخیلی برات خداحافظ مرسی برادرم خداحافظ بهمن قبادی a celebrated Iranian-Kurdish film director, producer, writer. He will soon release his first English-language feature film, Bahman Qobadi, joined us from Greece today. listening to a special themed edition of Rook as we are doing all this month, these themed episodes. This one, the directors. Well, we've heard from the Bahmans. Let's go to Bobak. Uh, uh, our third guest uh, is an award-winning Iranian-Canadian film director, screenwriter, and producer. Bobak Payami was born in Tehran, grew up in Iran and Afghanistan before leaving for Europe and subsequently Canada in the late 1980s to attend university and cinema studies. He then returned to Iran in 1998 and wrote, produced, and directed a troika of films that would gain huge acclaim. One More Day in 1999, Secret Battle, in 2001 and silence between two thoughts that film would go on to be confiscated by the Iranian government and forced Babak into exile in the summer of 2003 since his exile Babak has been involved in all manner of creative pursuits including co-writing and directing the animated feature film Iqbal a tale of a fearless child in 2015 and co-producing and directing Manhattan Undying a romantic drama about a vampire which was 
was released by Paramount Pictures in 2017. He's also been a compelling blogger and opinion writer, often discussing the Iranian community and our journey as a people. Babak has received the Best Artistic Contribution at the Tokyo Film Festival, Special Jury Award at the Torino Film Festival, and the Fripreski Prize at the London Film Festival, and of course, Best Director at the Venice International Film Festival for Secret Ballot. And right now, Babak Tayami joins me in the Rook studio in Toronto. Hello, sir. A wonderful good afternoon to you and, and your audience. I'm, I'm really happy and uh, to be in this program and to be with you and participate in Thank you, a wonderful idea that you've got going. Thank you so much. Let me get into some of your story. Mm-hmm. You, you were born like me a, a little bit before the revolution. How would you characterize growing up in Iran and why did you end up leaving the first time as a young man? Well, I left Iran three times, actually. One was when I was, I don't know, six, seven years old, and it was because of my father's uh, work in the Iranian oil company. And that was Afghanistan. That was Afghanistan. The Iranian, the, uh, Iran basically uh, controlled civil aviation in Afghanistan, and, and my father was worked for the Iranian oil company in that. The second time I left Iran was shortly after the revolution. And the third time I left Iran was after silence between two thoughts was confiscated. And every time had a different reason. The first time, I had nothing to do with it. The second time, I also didn't directly have anything to do with it, but I was a hot-headed young man uh, who didn't experience the gradual uh, lead up to the revolution. We came back to Iran in 1981 after the revolution. So for me, it was much more difficult to assimilate in that situation. And probably the family and like many others like me uh, at that time decided that he's never going to survive here or he's not going to uh, better. Were you a creative leave. kid? Were you, did you have, uh, did you know that you're going to become a filmmaker when you were a teenager, say in Iran? I unfortunately have the most boring, typical story. Every <laughs> filmmaker says I was nine years old and my father gave me a super eight millimeter camera and I never looked back. <laughs> that, unfortunately, I don't have a more. That's not as boring as I became an engineer. But ever since, Ever since I was nine years old, I was just fascinated with this projection on the wall. So why were you why were you hot-headed? Uh, I don't know. This is not a question that I can answer. I think I was I was I. I In what I've, way? In what way were you hot-headed? Would, well, would I think I'm fundamentally a, a, a non-conformist. Hmm. I'm fundamentally. You tell me I can't do something, and that's that's what I'm going to be doing. And I remember that my parents criticism of me especially my mother was ever since you were a toddler you would just you know rage about that so part of it has to do with that part of it obviously is 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 uh, upbringing i remember i mean my generation is borderline i'm born in 1966 and my parents are very progressive i must say this that to this day and my parents are over 80 years old i am still uh uh, the Farsi expression is kam miyaram. I'm still, when I, when I converse and have a discussion with my parents, they're much more progressive and forward-thinking than I am. Where and are I they? think that's an are exception. They they're in Iran right in Iran. now. So what did your progressive parents think when you said, I'm leaving as a teenager? Uh, at that time, which is the second time, 
my second. Uh, well, the first time we, you went with the, the family. The first time I was the second a kid. Time I was you like came six, by seven yourself, years old. You? I came by myself, but they had to do with it. I think it was as much their decision as it was my decision. I was not as self-conscious about the dangers of living in Iran at that time in 1981. But so, so you, you're with your parents' blessing. Post, yes. Post-revolution, young Bobak leaves uh, yes. to, to to the West, uh, to Europe, to Canada. Uh, a couple of decades pass. The extraordinary part of your journey is that you your most famous work you do back in Iran. Yeah. So you decide. So what what becomes the precipitant in 1998? to go back to Iran. Is that where you roll up your sleeves? You say, I've, I have to do something about this country? I, I, no, no, the rude awakening was after the fact. In fact, it had nothing to do with filmmaking. I was completely immersed in the, the trials and tribulations of an up-and-coming filmmaker in Canada. How do I get in, a foot into Telefilm Canada and who knows who to be able to do that? I was, in fact, a volunteer for TIFF since 1989 or something to that effect, right. maybe even 88. My going back to Iran had to do with the fact that my family did not want me to, to uh, be so alienated. I had a lot of difficulty. I was politically very, very self-conscious and, and, and again, hot-headed in that aspect as well. I had a very, uh, at least in my own view, a very clear opinion about what the situation in mm -hmm. Iran is. And, and, and I mean, because this is rock, uh, without ever having been in Iran in, 19, uh, in the 1980s, where there was this reformist movement, I founded the farce. And in fact, uh, Necessary Illusions, the, t the working title Necessary mm -hmm. Illusions, and my borrowing from Professor Chomsky in my interpretation of the situation in Iran was that in Iran, under the circumstances, that authoritarian regime, with the trajectory that it has and the international dynamics, has to create the necessary illusion of reform and moderation in order to manufacture consent domestically and internationally in order to guarantee its own survival. Okay. My parents, coming from an old family, and by that time a lot of the grandparents and older generation were dying off and were becoming old and and my parents did not want me to be disconnected and they insisted that i should at least maintain some connection with my country come back and forth come back and visit the family you know when we talk about artists and, and obviously my being a musician my first familiarity is with musical artists musical artists famously have fertile periods right yes. david bowie's berlin years the yes. the beatles in that middle period or whatever you look at it, the radiohead from 2007 to this time so uh, you would appear to have had a really fertile period from 1999 to 2002 where you make these three films. Yes. What happened? I went back to Iran. Uh, one thing leads to the other and the, for the first time within a matter of days there something happens and I had to get on a public bus in Tehran. And I get on this public bus and remember, it's 20 years that I haven't been there. And back then I was a kid. So, And there's this metal rod, this pole in the middle of the bus. Women go to the front of the bus, give their ticket to the driver or whoever the attendant is, and then walk to the back door. They get on the back side with this metal rod separating the men on the front side. And I got on this bus and I'm making an observation because in taxis and minibuses in Iran, these are the contradictions that you see. 
people are sitting like in close quarters, but on the bus they have to be separated like this, and uh, in a very busy downtown Meiduna Shapur kind of uh, ambiance, crowded hot summer or late summer, and this young man and woman were outside waiting together on pushing and shoving also and I understood just from their body language that they had something between them that nobody should know mm. and they got on the bus from opposite sides made their way snaked their way through the crowd pushing and shoving sweaty and got to this metal pole I was sitting near it hmm. and they put their hands on this metal pole one the, the girl on this side and the man on that side and these hands were sort of creeping closer and closer but never touching and they had this deep romantic conversation without uttering a word by just breathing and looking and looking away and just this nudge of a smile and then they got out of the bus and i missed my stop and i lost my way until i had to come and i observed them walking exactly the way i saw i, I depicted it in one more day and I saw them walking away. The wow. girl st a few steps forward, uncharacteristic of males and females, and the man a few steps back. I called my dear friend Jafar Panahi, and I said, Jafar, this is my next film. I'm going to make it in Iran. And he says, what is this? And, and remember for him, you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. And just uh, in case anybody doesn't know, Jafar Panahi, the, the great Iranian filmmaker. Absolutely. Yeah. So he, he, he doesn't know what quite to make of your diagram that you've Yeah, talked. and I said, look, this film starts at 4.45 a.m. one morning at the bus stop. A man comes at the bus stop and a woman comes into the bus stop and they get on a bus stop, uh, they get on a bus and drive away. And every day we go forward, there are no flashbacks in this film. Every day we go forward, the next day we start a little bit earlier and we extend a little bit further into where are these two going. And we learn that the guy is a prisoner and the woman works in a hospital with suicide, you know. And as I was just saying this, Jafar said, Babak, you gotta make this, this is just like, the form enough is, the form alone is enough to, and introduced me to a gentleman uh, and, and by the name of Ali Reza Shujanuri, and that's how I made that film. I love that you saw that. I love that you saw that on the, on the bus. Th so then, uh, now, that's a, you have a, a pretty strong debut with that, but it's Secret Ballot that really puts you on the, the map internationally and the Venice Prize and all of that. Uh, let me ask you about uh, Secret Ballot. This is, the, this is this riveting film uh, from 2001. By the way, um, in the lead up to this interview, uh, I, I knew I had to watch, oh, I have to watch Bob X films. Uh, and I started watching Secret Ballot, and I, and I thought, I've seen this twice. I, I had forgotten <laughs> that. I don't know if it had. A, I was thinking of the Farsi name or something, but but it is such a beautiful film. Thank you. And and I don't know if you've kept up with the, that cast and stuff. They're just. It, it's a, it's a very it's a riveting film. It's still still riveting. I think the first time I saw it was probably twenty years ago. You know, uh, and this film looks at the struggle to bring the mechanics of voting and election to disorganized and rural parts of Iran, and specifically a young woman clad in chador, roaming around these desert conditions trying to collect votes on an election day and re relying on a fascist vehicle, literally, to spread a notion of democracy uh, uh, among the laity. Uh, has the message or intent of what you wanted to do with that film changed as you look back at it 20 years later? I'm so sorry and to say no. No. 
I wish it had. I wish I was wrong or I wish I would be proven wrong and I wish that film would still, would no longer be relevant. I sincerely wish that. It wasn't a political film. The part that's making you say, I'm sorry to say, it hasn't changed. Tell us what that is. Well, remember, before 2001 or 2000 when I endeavored to make that film, and I made that film during the U.S. elections in the November Mm. time. And so I was keeping up with that. And the U.S. elections has a little bit to do with something that I improvised and added to that film as well. Uh, Way back. The Bush-Gore election. Yes. And and that whole situation. Yes. Way back in an, uh, I like that we're still maintaining the spoiler alert. Yes, uh, twenty years later, we're like, but don't say what happens in the film in case yeah. somebody wants to check it out. <laughs> no, I think I think you that can find film, Secret Ballad, by the way, on uh, Amazon, and you know, it's it's still it's very worth watching. Thank uh, you. Uh, what, for the what's plug. the far- Farsi name? Raya Mahfi. Raya Mahfi. Raya Mahfi. Uh, so, uh, remember, so way back, even before I started making films, I w- I was very opinionated about something, and I was in a minority, in a very small minority, in fact, uh, in my opinions and view of the situation in the 1980s into the 1990s. So essentially, I didn't buy, uh, to, to put it concisely, and I don't know if this program of yours, how long it's gonna go, but I, I, I didn't buy into the, into the farce of reformism. I did not buy into that. I found that a survival mechanism kicking in. I found that to be, they had to create the necessary illusion only of reform and moderation because the foreigners would not play ball with them. They cannot continue their foreign relations and trade and all of those things. And I I said, I won't open the can of worms. In order to manufacture some abhorrent sense of consent, as they did, among many Iranians who bought into that, which was the thesis behind secret ballot. Whether or not the, the, the process of elections is a departure point or a point of arrival within the democratic discourse. In other words, if you have a box and a piece of paper and people come and line up and throw a piece of paper in that box, do you have democracy? How fundamental is that to democracy? Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Or, or is it a passive expression of, uh, of nothingness? Yeah. 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 The question was that just reducing democracy to elections, reducing democracy to the point of a piece of paper in a ballot box without taking a holistic view of it, is in my view, is, is reductive. There's a very thin line between fascism and democracy. As a matter of fact, in recent history, in modern history, 20th century history, all fascistic regimes have come into power through the process of elections, have maintained power with 98% percent hmm. Uh, but there's uh, a there's voter another, turnout. There's another side to secret ballot, though, isn't there? Which is that the woman, the the, the subject, the main yes. subject in the film, who is steadfastly, defiantly trying to get these votes, you know, to put in her box to to do her job as a uh, what would you call them, a scrutineer or something, yeah. uh, election. Uh, she's so determined. She so believes in it. I mean, perhaps naively. Um, that it's quite beautiful. I mean, she wants this to work. Yes. She wants to count as many people as possible to get their Shenasname, to make sure that they vote, to put their name down, because she thinks this is important. That's actually an uplifting message. If she is 
the Iranian people or the people of the diaspora. Um, I, I'm, I would be very happy with that. Desperately trying to achieve this, you know, even when you zoom out and look at it and, and, and it seems a little ridiculous what she's doing, right? Thank you for not making me say it. And thank you for saying it because that, that's, that's correct. That's true. And even in the soldier, I mean, I fundamentally take a humanistic view, not a moralistic view in, in terms of judging the character. The, uh, the girl is naive. The girl is f- apparently futile what she's doing, but her steadfastness and her yes. belief, as naive as it is. So just wrap up the story of how you end up coming back to the West, because Secret Ballot comes out. It's, it's a critical success. Um, you're you're feted around the world. You win this best director prize at Venice, which, which is enough to make careers. You know, uh, you set about making this this film, Silence Between Two Thoughts, and you get arrested. Yes. So what happens there? Having grown up in Afghanistan, I had a story in mind that I'd written during my school days in 1994, 1995 that was loosely based on Heart of Darkness about an Afghani man, a construction worker, who is so humiliated and so wronged in Iran as a construction worker that he decides that he has to leave and the only way that he can is to go and find bin Laden. This is a story that I'd written in 1994-95. To find bin Laden, kill him so that he will have a country to live in because the Iranians, he's had enough of the belittlement that the Iranians have. Then September 11 happened. And, And September 11th happened on the day of the premiere of Secret Ballot at the Toronto International Film Festival. Oh, I remember <laughs> this now. I actually remember this. There you go. Because uh, it was a, everything, everyone was in shock. Yeah. There was a, the, the whole festival was p- placed on pause and it was your film was, yeah. po- yes, I remember this. So Venice ends in this great climax of me winning five different awards and here I am, you know, having made it in the Venice Film Festival and I land in Toronto and I'm looking forward, all the friends and relatives to everything. This is my hometown. TIFF is where I used to volunteer. Now my film is being shown here. Of course, the other film was shown as well. But uh, September 11th happened. At that time, I wanted to, to, to talk about the situation in Afghanistan. I wanted to, to, to portray what I feel as someone who grew up there, bring my perspective to what Afghanistan is really like. And, and the, the, the complications. Do you have an affection this was for a very, Afghanistan? I, absolutely. I'm, I'm in love with that country and the people. And, and I've had the best experiences of my life over there. And, I'm, and I, I must say, again, going back to my loyalty to your, to your, to your theme, Rock, uh, to be frank, I am shocked, embarrassed by how Afghans are treated in Iran. I apologize to every single Afghan who has been wronged in Iran. And I have a lump in my throat just having to say this. And I wish I could go and apologize from every single uh, Afghan person who has been wronged in Iran. And I truly feel bad about this as, as an Iranian. Having said that, and with September 11th happening, I felt now I'm sort of, I'm not uh, telling a fresh story. I'm not bringing, because remember, by 2001, I don't think anybody would even recognize the name Bin Laden in the normal. And I thought I'm onto something, but it just take me 
took me a few years suddenly to the film to becomes reactive becomes reactive right. and i didn't want to do it i sat down and i reworked the third act of that film the third act of that film begins with him arriving at a village in the mountains of which he believes bin laden exists that he's gotten so close to be able to go and assassinate but in the village they're executing people and there's this beautiful young girl that they're executing and he has spent the good part of the last couple of days there and he asks around that was in the original story which i rewrote into silence between two thoughts he goes and, and and tries to do something about it so he goes and convinces the haji beats him at his own game if you execute uh, and if someone you execute has to go to hell and if you execute a virgin she will go to heaven so the the haji is embarrassed because he's gotten the upper hand that ideological he's beat them at his own game and he marries the girl to the executioner the, the third act of my film essentially became the opening of silence between two thoughts and i made silence between two thoughts and at that time i i could have and and in hindsight i don't regret it despite everything that happened to me to this day if i have the chance to make films in iran i would not trade it with anything else I would, I would, I would, in a heartbeat, I would go and make films in Iran if I could and if they would let me. But what happened? I mean, why were you, what was the pretense for arresting you? To be honest, I, I never got an explanation. <laughs> Just imagine the last act of the film Goodfellas where he's running around and looking after the helicopters yeah. and making spaghetti. And that, those are the circumstances I got arrested. Was it, was it almost like you were too successful with the, the, the previous film? I, I can't you, say. You really can't say? 20 look, years later, you can't? I know, well, look, first of all, they have to explain for what they did. Uh -huh. I think history proves that anybody who is independent, who doesn't play ball with them, uh, because because culture for them for the Iranian for any authoritarian establishment culture and art is is a thorn at their side they can manufacture anything but you cannot manufacture an artist and and I think for them they either have to control the arts and artists or they can't tolerate them and and that's essentially and I know who I am and I would and I, I I'm speaking for myself I would never have compromised. And, and I want to touch on the word compromise. Oh, I'm coming to it. I'm coming to it okay, because that, that's you, I, I want to end yeah. off on that. Sure, let's go. But before I do that, and I don't want to, uh, I, A, I don't want to, as Yadim Khabashi, no. also I don't want to belittle what you have done in the last 20 years because you've been involved in so many different creative projects, including making some cool music videos as well. <laughs> but when you talk about you, you would give anything to make films in Iran, yeah. the reality is, Babak, you you were fertile as a filmmaker in Iran. You made those three films, and in the last 17 years, you've only really made one other film. Yeah. First of all, the first four years after leaving Iran, under those circumstances, I was full of rage and anger. And to the question of then, in 2008, I think this question was posed to me. Why haven't you done anything? You're so energetic. You've got so much problem. And I'm saying what was yes, posed. Yes, And And I said, listen, I was so affected by the situation and hurt by what happened to me in Iran that anything I would have done would, be, would have been in retaliation to what has happened to me. Mm -hmm. 
and I would have stood here before you and said, I wish I hadn't made those films. Because for those first four years, I, and, and part of my seclusion was I, I went inwards and I locked because I knew anything that comes out of my mouth would not would be as a reaction to what had happened to me and what they had done or what I thought they had done to me. And, and it took some time. But part of it also, I must confess, had to do with I was, I was lazy. I, was, uh, I wasn't as driven anymore to, 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 to prove something. I wanted, I insisted on the kinds of films. For example, over these years, I have a screenplay on the death of Caravaggio. Uh, these are all things that I'd written during these times and, and I want to. And, and I, I worked on a project that had to do with my grandparents' roots called, uh, well, I shouldn't mention the name, that would give away too much, but it's about a, a Jewish boy who leaves uh, Baku in 1918 and immigrates to Germany and becomes a prominent German author. Uh, I adapted a book by Changiz Aitmatov, The Day Lasts More Than 100 Years, and I wrote several other stories that, that Essentially, what came uh, together was making uh, Manhattan Undying as a way for me. In a way, I was being pushed in the direction of not going and making films in the East yeah. anymore. But you know, if you if you'll excuse me for saying it this way, sure. the through line is uh, we're so familiar with the stories of people whose careers, whose creativity whose innovation, whose energy was stunted or cut off at the knees sure. by the revolution. And these stories are about how it continues. Mm. You know, this wasn't the revolution. This was 20 years after the revolution. Yeah. And your sure. career, um, uh, look, whether you, whether the, 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 the tap was dry or, what, or whatever it was, there's no one, no one could argue that it didn't affect you. Of course. <laughs> and of course Absolutely. it is going to affect you. Absolutely. It's a harrowing experience. Your, your film, your third film gets, uh, of this Troika films gets completely basically taken off the market. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a very, very um, difficult situation. And, yeah. and this, is the, this is the sort of ongoing reality of, of um, being an Iranian in the diaspora, I yeah. suppose. Which leads to uh, the other through line of this conversation, which is your commitment to not wanting to compromise. Yeah. You say politics is meaningless without comprom without compromise, politics, where art is meaningless with compromise. You go on to repeat, true art allows for no compromises. I love that sentiment, and I know you believe you mean that, Yeah. but I want to call bullshit on it. Okay. Because... I don't really believe that that's possible. If you're if you're talking about making art in in the corner of a room that you can look at and be happy about, that's one thing. But as soon as you take that art and bring it into the public realm, I don't know how you avoid the compromise. You I'm not I'm not saying you seek the compromise, but you know, you know this is I mean whether you're writing a book or you're making albums like I've made or you're or you're you're painting a, a something and you, it has to go in a gallery or you're making a film at some point you know well I've got to include this scene, I've got to take this out, I've got to make sure that the lighting is like this to get to the audience. So is it really possible to, to be a person of no compromise? Not that I expected any less, 
but I really appreciate your astute observation. And, and in a way, you also walked right into it because I have an answer <laughs> okay. for that. I look forward to it. I think we have to pay attention to the kind of compromise. If the compromise we're making is pandering to the Iranian regime, if the compromise we're making is for some kind of expediency because I want to trade or whatever gotcha. and say we have to pander to that system or turn a blind eye to whatever atrocity that that I don't want to make that compromise. I will never make that compromise. Gotcha. But if it's compromising and saying, listen, why don't you have a piece of the pie? Or why don't you? Why, why don't we have acknowledge the diversity? See, again, it's all in the kind of compromise, not in compromise itself. We cannot force it down people's throats and say, compromise is a blanket statement. Why aren't you making compromises? But we say well, you can make this kind of a compromise, a compromise that we can make as a diverse culture, as a diverse society and community, is to acknowledge that diversity, acknowledge the fact that you and I will never agree on everything, but you and I must sit and work together towards a common cause. You and I might be opposed to teeth and, and, and nails with uh, together, but it doesn't mean that we cannot sit down and I'm not work as, on I'm, this program. I'm certainly not in, as into Pink Floyd as, as you. As I am. <laughs> that might I be like the, the band, but I mean. <laughs> not as into a design. But, but that's, again, it's about the kind of compromise. And I think as long as we acknowledge diversity and we and build our unity on our differences, not an insistence upon eliminating those differences, that is a different perspective, and I hope to be able to make a difference. And my rude awakening was, if you believe so strongly in that, and if you don't see that happening in your community and your society, or people hitting the nail on the head the, the way you see it, why don't you roll up your sleeves and try to do something about it and contribute to your community? I mean, I feel like we're just getting started, <laughs> you know? It, it has been riveting, and uh, your message has been very clear. And uh, I so appreciate you taking the time and being our inaugural guest Thank here you. in the Rook studio Thank rather you. than on the phone or on Skype or something. Thanks Thank so you. much, Pavek. Thank you. It was a pleasure, and, and I really uh, thank you for the time and the good work that you're doing. Had I known I was the physical guest here, I would definitely have come here with some Nunyazdi or you, you Gaz brought, or something. Just, just to be clear so the audience knows, you brought nothing. I brought nothing, Zero. and I'm totally You know, so, you I'm go so to a Persian's sorry. house, you bring nothing. I'm now so we know sorry. who the real you. I'll Bob make Ak up for it with Nuhamein <laughs> next time. <laughs> Bob Payami, an award-winning director, producer, writer. He joined me here in the Rook Studio in Toronto today. And this is full time for Rook for today. Hey, our website for all things Rook, rookmedia.com, where you can check out previous episodes, video content, the Rook Funnies, and all of our guests. Uh, go to rookmedia.com. It's also where you can become a patron of this program and help support what we do. Just press the red button that says support us on the website. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Producer Susan Ponta, the artist. Thoughtful Nagin, the fabulous Keon, Super Patty Saw, Savvy Roham, Aray Merdad, Sponsorship Sean, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe on any or all of our platforms if you've not done so already. Find me on Instagram and Facebook at Gian Gomeshi. Mizumbashi. Bashi.